This is the Sandman Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about the Sandman Chapter 9 Collectors. What you looking for? It's a serial convention. I thought there'd be serial. Are you still hungry? Okay, well, have a seat uh, over there and we'll get you something to eat. I tell you, I could murder a steak. Good bloody steak. Is you this chocolate fudge whip that's to die for? The TV version butchered it, but you can find it uncut online. Oh, wow. Hey, I thought this whole issue was dead and buried in the 60s. That's when Harry killed the lights. I could have died. He slays me, that guy. Welcome back, fellow dreamers. This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're discussing the Sandman Chapter 9 Collectors. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow dreamers. I am one of your other hosts, John. Squeezing in our final podcast before we head off on holidays, and unfortunately, Chris still isn't with us for this episode of The Sandman. No, exactly. Sorry, Chris. Uh, We we had to crack on and get this done uh, so that we'd have an episode coming out while we're away on holidays. Yeah, exactly. So right now, hopefully, we'll be sitting on a beach as you listen to this podcast. Yes. (laughs) Feel the Mai Tais, uh, mm. the wave of Mai Tai crushing against my mouth, Excellent. I guess. Not your thighs, thankfully. No, not my thighs. <laughs> That's if you have a drinking problem and you miss your mouth. <laughs> exactly. Good stuff. Uh, if you're listening to our Sandman podcast, I hope you're subscribed to our main podcast feed. Uh, you can find that over on tvpodcastindustries.com or just by searching TV Podcast Industries on any dreaming or nightmarish podcast catcher um you can also send any feedback to us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or if you want to leave any thoughts on any of the shows that we cover uh, we also have a spoiler post on our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries where you can leave your thoughts about any of the shows we're covering and we'll cover them on a future podcast yeah good stuff um with the um public service announcement out of the way fellow dreamers let us crack on with our spoiler-filled chat about Chapter Mm 9, Collectors. Yeah, it's almost the penultimate episode, but because they released that extra episode, we are actually got two more episodes to go after this one, John. I know. Yeah. Well, two half episodes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I've I've already watched them, um, and it's kind of a quarter and and three quarters. Uh, Okay. Yeah, it's it's, it's not not exactly halves, but looking forward to talking about that one as well. But we still have the rest of this story of the, uh, the... Doll's House uh, arc from the comic books uh, continuing on. So we're talking about the ninth episode of The Sandman Collectors. Uh, the executive producers for this show are Alan Heimberg, Neil Gaiman, and David S. Gore. Uh, this episode was written by Vanessa Benton, uh, who's been a staff writer in the show for the entire season. Excellent stuff. Glad mm-hmm. uh, we've got Vanessa writing away there for uh, everyone and getting now her own episode with yeah. Chapter 9. Yep. Yeah. And this episode was directed by Coralie Fergat. Uh, Coralie is a French film director, and this is her first episode of The Sandman. Well, excellent stuff. Welcome on board, Coralie, to the uh, production and crew of The Sandman, I guess. It would definitely be remiss of me to call out how much I wanted to write down Coraline, because she spells (laughs) it almost exactly the same as the Neil Gaiman character, Coraline. Uh, So only one letter difference. So thanks. (laughs) Thanks very much uh, for that wonderful uh, book back in my head, uh, Coraline. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for The Sandman Chapter 9 Collectors? Sure. Lighter's pregnancy and sex life with her dead husband are causing tremors in the dreaming. Mm. 
with fault lines forming across the realm, including in Morpheus's palace, Lucien and Matthew deduce that it is the result of Rose's increasing power, which threatens to weaken and break down the barriers between the dreaming and the waking world. But Morpheus is unsure of the theory. Meanwhile, Lyta continues to meet Hector in her dreams, and finds that her pregnancy is advancing at a rapid rate. Back at Hal's bed and breakfast, Rose receives a call from the Corinthian, who tells her that he has Jed safe and sound, and she can collect him from the Royal Hotel in Georgia, where he is to give the keynote speech at the Serial Convention, with a distinct absence of cereal. (laughs) Jed also notices a lack of cereal, his favourite food, as he explores the convention centre, despite instructions from Corinthian to stay in his room. Jed continues to explore the hotel and strikes up a conversation with one of the collectors, Funland. Rose travels to the hotel to meet them, accompanied by her kindly upstairs neighbour, Gilbert. As Gilbert's literary discussions send Rose off to the land of Nod, where she arrives into Lyta's dream separately from Morpheus, who has also arrived to discern what is happening. He realises that Rose, as the Vortex, has allowed Hector's spirit to inhabit the dreaming, in lieu of him passing on to the afterlife. Despite the protests from Lyta and anger from Rose, Morpheus banishes Hector from the dreaming and informs Lyta that her unborn child will one day belong to him because it was conceived in the dreaming. Rose and Gilbert arrive at the hotel and search for Jed. While searching, the Corinthian and Gilbert recognise each other, causing Gilbert to flee to the dreaming, where he is revealed to be the personified Fiddler's Green, one of the other rogue dreaming residents. Gilbert relays the Corinthian and Rose's location to Morpheus. Alone, Rose continues her search for her brother, and crashes into a distraught and terrified Jed, being helped by Funland as he flees from witnessing exactly who the Corinthian really is. But Funland isn't willing to give up his new prize, and hunts Jed and Rose until the Corinthian swiftly dispatches him, and has the siblings all to himself. Ooh, lots of big stuff in this final reveal of uh, of who Gilbert is. Uh, yes. The gentleman upstairs. Um we we guess the uh, the Corinthian and some of the other collectors at the serial convention, uh, which is a great fun to see a serial convention with any children. You're missing out on a prime target audience. <laughs> I know exactly. Uh, really good, really good stuff. Uh, and of course, this kind of uh, butting of heads between the um, vortex and Morpheus. Oh, definitely. Yeah, mm. no, that that felt like another seismic shift here Mm. uh, in terms of how um, Rose perceived Morpheus uh, for sure. And and, I mean, it was also quite brutal what Morpheus did in front of uh, Lyta and Rose as well, despite all their protests. So yeah, again, Mm -hmm. uh, Morpheus's sort of douchebaggery knows no bounds here. Not a hero, John. At the same time, (laughs) I now appreciate uh, that you know, he does have to police his realm, mm-hmm. and uh, you know this is one of those hard choices um, which impacts lighter. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, again another really good episode uh, for for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, really enjoyed it, including I guess as we kick off with our top moments from chapter nine, mm-hmm. it is the. 
the running gag of the serial convention. Absolutely. Absolutely. Finally seeing this brought to life. Um, it's a little more hidden in the comics. Um, interestingly, you don't really understand what the serial convention is because, of course, it's spelt like serial, not serial killer. Um, but the joke of it is there as you, as you realize that all of these people are, are killers. Uh, there's a touch of it or a nod to it as, uh, Jed and the Corinthian arrive and you, you see all the rest of the guests that are there and the way that they're talking about everything from the power being dead to, and to all the conversations that they're having, uh, even about the most mundane things, each one of them has, um, has a line that it, that sounds really brutal if taken out of context, which is the kind of way that it was dealt with in the comic books. Um, so I like that they at least kept that touch there, even though we've already seen the other collectors trying to get uh, Corinthian on board as the as the central speaker at the serial convention. But I love how it all played out. I really, really enjoyed this idea of having um, a convention for serial killers uh, all trying to share their tips with each other. Um, and I think particularly having uh, Rose and Gilbert, who I don't really know how they actually got into the serial convention. They were stopped at the door by Funland. He tells them that he sees everybody going in and then they just steal some badges and get in. But... It doesn't really matter. It leads to some great fun moments with Gilbert as he goes into some of the presentations, oh, yeah. like uh, making money at this game uh, is one of them where uh, the absolutely horrible serial killers are saying, well, you can sell some information about your victims back to the family and that will at least keep the bills ticking over. But don't do it for the money. You do it for the murders themselves. But the realization creeping over Gilbert's face as he Absolutely. understands what some of these uh, people are talking about, the panel about women's work and about that, uh, about why they uh, are just as equal in serial killing as the men is really funny as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. But, but mostly for the reaction from Gilbert for the uh, the horrible things that are coming out of these people's mouths. You know? that, that's it. I just absolutely loved this creeping realisation from Gilbert as he starts to get the gist of actually what is going on uh, at this serial convention. Mm-hmm. You know, to his own horror and that horror sort of gradually building on, on his face. You know, it started off quizzical, yeah. and by the end of it, it's just outright terror. Yeah. And then, of course, he, he, you know, he spots the Corinthian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, you see it with the Corinthian thinking, I recognize that that person. Yeah. You know, maybe it's the sense you, you, you're thinking um of of rose that you know he's been close to rose mm-hmm. uh, but ultimately um we we get then this reveal as he effectively drops rose i mean i did i i guess he's terrified of the corinthian because he knows exactly who he is and i can yes. understand why he would want to turn and run but the fact that he turns and runs without getting rose first and just simply leaving a note behind reception and mm. um, it felt and now come on gilbert mm. you, you could have at least sort of done something because at the you know in that moment you didn't quite know other than from what he has heard and that's why he was running and you're like going so you're you're leaving yes. Rose to a serial killer convention, effectively, yeah. and you know it, and you know it rather yes. than him being Fiddler's Green. But then you get that reveal mm-hmm. that he is Fiddler's Green, yeah. and he he heads back to the dreaming, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I so I just really loved this uh, turn of events. Um, 
I thought it was um, just really, really good. Mm-hmm. And it, it's also connected with the apology that Morpheus uh, gives to Lucien as well. Um, and to say that with the, the dreaming, um, she was right. Um, and Lucien, as the, di- as the diplomat says, but so were you, my lord, you know, mm-hmm. um, still there, but he effectively, in his own way, apologizes. And firstly, the reveal of Fiddle, Fiddler's Green is Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Um, Morpheus doesn't seem quite as angry with Fiddler's Green, maybe because he came back under his own steam, even though it was with the sheer fright of seeing the Corinthians. Yes. But you get the, you know, the, the other reveal here. Um, from, from them, uh, and, and the, the shock from, from Gilbert, because in order to stop this weakening of the barrier, um, between the dreaming and the waking world that Morpheus has now experienced mm-hmm. and which Lucien and Matthew were kind of trying to sort of, you know, deduce, yeah. um, Gilbert or Fiddler's Green says, you know, Morpheus is going to have to kill Rose Walker. Yes, absolutely. Which is like a big dun dun dun. Yeah, it's a big moment. It's a know? massive moment. And especially because of how close Gilbert's gotten with yes. Rose as well. He's suddenly uh, really fearful for her, but knows this is what has to happen. And that kind of explains why he ran away and left uh, Rose behind. Remember, Rose's concern is getting her brother back it's one human getting another human back that's their only concern the ramifications of what fiddler's green has just seen there which is that the corinthian is alive and well and murdering humans across the planet and inspiring massive other amounts of serial killers to go out and kill other humans which i'm really glad they paid off in this episode from uh, a little comment earlier on in the season um that they were all inspired by uh, by the Corinthian, he's brought this to the world. Effectively, is the is the concept of of what's happening here that he's inspired so many more people than would have been inspired by anybody else because of what he's been doing for 120 years or 100 years uh, here on here on Earth. Um, but that's much more important to Fiddler's Green as a member of the Dreaming, reporting this back to the the Dream King, the Dream the Dream Lord, that this is what he's seen. Yeah. Um, than just dealing with the in the incidental issue of one girl trying to find her younger brother you know so uh so while it seems a bit callous that he just runs off leaving a note behind at least he left a note but while it seems a bit callous there's a much bigger stakes at play yeah. in the background here yeah. and that's that can be said a little bit for morpheus again i'm going to be slightly defending him i feel uh in this episode a bit but it is about the bigger picture for these entities and what they what they uh are trying to look after uh what do you think of the reveal of Fiddler's Green um, uh, as being Gilbert or Gilbert? Yeah, it was great. Um, totally in plain sight. Mm. Uh, really loved it. I mean, yeah. should have should have at least have had some suspicion around it, given a it's Stephen Fry, mm-hmm. so magnificent, you know, yeah. magnificent, and <laughs> um, probably. Uh, being more than the guy, the literary guy upstairs, but mm-hmm. also he wore green as well. well. Yes, um, yep. So that was a little <laughs> bit of a, a giveaway, I I'm, guess. I'm consistently as well. saying that 
she's drawing all the dreams to him and him only appearing at certain times and yeah. uh, not being around all the time. Uh, there's a really good nod to it. It's early, it's early on in this episode, of course. So you, by the end of the episode, you know it's Phyllis Green, but a great nod to it when she uh, when she says to him, um, is this your first time in America? Are you from England? And he says, why do you say that? And she says, well, you sound English. And he goes, well, thank you very much for that. But there's no indication that he's traveled over from England to America. He described it as going to another land from his home and then says he has to go home. So uh, he's talking about transferring over from the dreaming to America and then back to yes, dreaming again. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. so nice little nods there that, that it was, you can catch yeah, in the, in really the way he did everything. Really good little nod. You know, in hindsight, at least for me on uh, on the the second watch, it was yeah. yeah, it was really good. Just absolutely loved it. So yeah. I mean, th- this was really good, and as you say, the serial convention as mm-hmm. well. Just just all the different characters there playing. Uh, different serial killers really you know you we've seen funland and nimrod and the doctor mm-hmm. uh before uh really just great to have them back being creepy oh, but yeah. just everyone else you know as uh you, you see them you know at various stages walking along the corridors you mm-hmm. know and then you see them sort of up on the dais with others on a panel discussion yeah. about it as uh, Gilbert is going into them uh, to 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 try and find uh, Jed. So I just really like the that whole feel, and mm. even with the um, the fact that there is this interloper in the the boogeyman that's not the boogeyman, and mm-hmm. um, it it's a, a guy that writes a fanboy effectively called Philip Sitz, mm-hmm. um, and despite. The, you know, the initial introduction by, by Nimrod to the convention, you know, the usual stuff of keep your mobiles off, exits here, 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 mm-hmm. and don't shit where you eat. Yeah. Um, they have to shit where they eat yeah. and collect, uh, Philip sits, which, um, is because Corinthian has taken a particular fancy to this, um, serial killer, um, at least that's what it looks like initially, but he is the one that knows that this is not the boogeyman. Exactly. And I love the rising tension that is within this. You know, this is almost like an episode of Hannibal um, at, at times. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's that kind of idea of you're in a room surrounded by serial killers and you're pretending to be one of them to get your interviews, to get to, to – um, to get your information out of them. You are in a really terrifying situation. And the second they find out who you are – you're going to be killed, Philip, you know? Uh, he was not a very smart kid. Um, he calls out quite quickly to um, the Corinthian a connection to the blog that he used to write, effectively, and that's how they find out who he is. But uh, what a terrifying position to be in, to be suddenly surrounded by serial killers all around you. Um, yeah, hey. uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, as well, I, I really enjoyed Jed. You know, cereal, one of his favorite foods. Mm-hmm. He's come to a cereal convention and, you know, having been locked down in the cellar of his foster home, he's then being told to just stay in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, curiosity killed the cat and his kind of drive to go and explore, to, to see where his savior, effectively, the person that's rescued him, yeah. uh, what he's doing and, and, you know, that, the the one person he strikes up uh, a conversation with is Funland, and you're just oh, like going, "Oh yeah. no!" And it is just so creepy, mm-hmm. but just so well done. You know, the innocence of Jed, uh, 
but also knowing that Funland is grotesque and yep. uh, has very different motivations and thoughts about Jed. And, you know, Jed's kind of looking for a free sample of cereal, effectively. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like also the fact that Jed, in exploring the convention, is going against the Corinthians' wishes. And so he, you know, he does hide. He He's... He's pretty sneaky about it. Yeah. You know, there's that moment where you think he's just spotted yeah. Jed, um, but it's an, it's another kid. Yeah. So I kind of liked all that, and I, I liked how this was all constructed within the convention. Um, and certainly as Gilbert and Rose arrive, just, you know, kind of missing one another mm-hmm. um, or, or not finding Jed, but it then connecting in with both... Nimrod, the Doctor, and Corinthian killing Philip Sitz mm-hmm. with Jed seeing, and how in the end Rose and Jed finally uh, find one another. Yeah. But it's still not safe because exactly. Jed's with Funland, who um, sees this as an opportunity to effectively uh, murder um, Jed here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's not willing to let him go. He's done the work now he's mine um, yeah. kind of thing yeah it's it, really it's, creepy but especially because you've layered in earlier on his description of how he gets his victims you've, you've had that idea he calls himself Funland because that's where he spends his time picking off children whose parents have left them alone you know um, it's really creepy and I yeah. love how he delivers it he is such a perfect translation if I show you the page in the comic book you can see this is exactly the character from the comic book this possessiveness that's within him and how much he turns into this really creepy villain when he feels close to one of his victims. That's that's yeah. what you see from Funland. He has this um this obsessive nature about him, which is why I guess what what makes him a serial killer. But you hear about other some of the other serial killers as well. And I think setting it this way where you have that that build up and you have the panels which are creepy enough but then getting individual serial killers explaining who they are and their modus operandi, you know, and then you layer it all together with Corinthian, the good doctor, and Nimrod surrounding this victim, and then Corinthian telling him what each one of them is going to do, because he says the three of them should hunt together and use this experience to learn about each other's methods, yes, basically. Exactly. Uh, and it's really terrifying. Uh, can you imagine being that guy sitting in the room, being surrounded by three experienced serial killers who you know because that's what you've been doing you've been an investigative journalist who knows all about these people yeah. and you're now surrounded by three of the most brutal the keynote speaker and two of the leaders of this convention have yeah. got you cornered philip um, really yeah. didn't think this through not uh, at all, at all. Not at all. and you know little did he know that there would be a, a, an attraction there um from a distance and it's only through uh, looking to get the Corinthian a drink and, and you know learn more about yeah. him that the Corinthian sees that this is not the boogeyman as his name badge suggests yeah yeah I, I do still wonder is there more to the Corinthian in this version of the show is there more that he's able to see through the world as it is is he is he more able to see who people really are um because he's he's made lots of leaps over the course of the season he's made he's been able to find people that were not able to be found like Ethel Cripps. He was able to find her pretty quickly when he needed to find her. Um, he was able to get in contact with 
with uh, John Doe uh, as he'd just come out of the uh, of the asylum that he was in. Uh, well, Arkham Asylum, as we still think uh, it was. Um, but he was able to find all these people at exactly the right time. So I wonder, is there more to what Corinthian can see? Maybe. The man with no yeah. eyes. I mean, um, some of it may be so. down to his victims. Mm. You know, I was wondering, oh, had he killed the boogeyman mm-hmm. uh, at a previous time so yeah. just knew that he was I dead know he's dead yeah from three I, years ago. yeah exactly i know he's dead he's in a swamp somewhere in um one of the southern states of america mm-hmm. you know um i mean with with john doe um i i guess it's a bit more long term because he was also there at the burgess house yeah so he's probably keeping tabs on, on them the because yeah. they are ultimately at that time we're limiting Morpheus by having him trapped in the real world. Yeah. And then with having the helm and the, the pouch of sand and the ruby, mm-hmm. he knows those are tools of, 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 uh, of Morpheus. But yeah. nonetheless, yes, it's, uh, it's just so good. It's kind of like, it's like this chain reaction of serial killing ha- kicks off and, mm-hmm. um, at the serial convention. And I just really, really um, just enjoyed how this was all constructed, even down to the last moment where Funland is killed by the Corinthian. Yeah. And you have the Corinthian saying to Rose and Jed, I mean, Jed is terrified out of his, uh, out of his life, really, mm-hmm. because he's just seen the person who rescues him kill someone else in the the maintenance uh, passages mm-hmm. of the hotel and the corinthian just quite calmly says you're safe with me yeah uh, like really really good yeah yeah so good oh i'm so glad this is realized as well as it was uh for the show excellent stuff where, where else are we gonna go in this episode Tom? what's next i think we need to talk about the seismic disturbances in I the dream i think we do what and... exactly is happening with lysa and hector um <laughs> I, I love how this followed on from last week because this is, I mentioned it before, this is differently told to the comic book. But this idea of what actually is going on between Lysa and Hector, that Hector is actually a ghost, effectively, that hasn't traveled on to his destination after death, is really interesting that Rose has pulled him into the dream world and he's actually a ghost living in there and hasn't passed on, yeah. is a really interesting twist on what, you think was happening. You thought Lysa was having a dream that was going on longer than it should be going on. But actually Hector is in existence in here. Yeah, I I love this as well. I Mm. mean, even just the opening of this where Rose comes in and tells Lysa about her dream. Um, And, you know, you might think I'm I'm crazy. And and it's just Lysa saying, you know, no, I don't think you do. I, I believe everything you said. Because you know, look at me, and shows her bump to to Rose. Yeah. Um. I I just thought that was a great moment where you know she's facing away from Rose, and Rose is trying to have this kind of awkward conversation about this dream that she's had mm-hmm. met the Lord of Dreams, Morpheus, um, that and can help her find her her brother thinking that she's just going to be told she's crazy yeah. you know she's she's lost all sense of reality and uh, and you you just get simply back from lighter um that no i believe you you mm-hmm. know and shows 
what's happened, you know, because yeah. of her dreams. That she's now fully pregnant, like, you know, the day before exactly. she wasn't pregnant. Exactly. Yeah. And, and with Matthew watching on, you know, reporting back to Lucienne, there, there's this view of the, the weakening of the boundaries between the, the real world and the dream world. Mm-hmm. But again, with the, uh, effectively almost the falling out that happened between Morpheus and Lucien. Lucien's like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Uh, you have to report directly to Morpheus. Um, I'm I, just a librarian. I'm just there, a librarian. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really good. It just like following that th- thread through, mm-hmm. I thought was really good. Um, and uh, I just really um, like then how this, you know, sort of developed because you have lighter effectively you know wanting to live in her dreams to give it a try mm-hmm. because there's not there's not much of a life that i have here and oh. um, you know really sort of sad really yeah. kind of desperate in it in many respects but you you see these these events these uh with, you know with lighter at least being with the 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 spotlight on, seeing the different uh, cracks that are beginning to and fissures that are are, are happening, uh, both in her dream, mm-hmm. but into the Morpheus's palace, and and Morpheus trying to think what is going on here, yeah, um, but kind of being still a bit unsure of Lucian's theory. Yeah, but but I do like that he goes to Lucien to ask if she has any more detail about her theory or more more theories that she might want to share with him because he has no idea what's going on. He hasn't seen this either. You know, the the concept here is that there have been um, vortexes in the past, yeah. vortices, vortexes uh, in the past, but they've been dealt with, they've been sorted, they've been cut off, but he wanted to use the vortex for his purposes here. So that meant Rose has gotten more powerful than they've dealt with in the past. So he's not 100% sure that that's what's happening because he doesn't know anything about a vortex. They haven't gotten to this point before, um, which is really interesting. So it's almost caused by him because the minute he found out that Rose is a vortex, he could have ended it there. But yeah. because it's allowed it to continue. And again, I'm speaking about it quite callously because that's how Morpheus thinks. Um, because he's allowed it to continue, Rose is now become a very powerful uh, vortex yeah and he may find out what that really means now and nobody else has any idea what it is uh, exactly that's, that's the challenge so. I, I must say as well i really enjoyed lucien in this moment as well as morpheus is asking for her help where she plays hardball with yes, she him does. and it's really like no you didn't want me to do this mm-hmm. you just wanted me to be the librarian i am being the librarian yeah. like you told me and directed me too and anything else than that you were going to be annoyed and mm-hmm. so on so you know I, I love as i said before this this ultimately leads to um an apology of sorts yeah. to lucien as morpheus comes around to the idea that actually lucien has the finger on the pulse mm-hmm. she, she can help uh, and her talents aren't just in good 
library management and curation Absolutely. of the books that he holds. So I, 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 I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I love how uh, Morpheus is acting around it because he just doesn't want to admit that he's wrong. He doesn't want to admit that somebody else could help him. Um, remember, he doesn't reach out to people for help. He doesn't like doing that. No. Uh, he wants to be the one in charge of everything because that's what it's been for the last number of millennia. He's been the one in charge. So the idea that he would have to deign to ask one of the members of the dreaming for help or information um that could help him uh is really making him cringe inside uh, and i like how uh, how lucian is twisting that but what we do learn from the rest of the residents the other people that we meet here from fiddler's green going well morpheus has changed quite clearly because he's apologized to you when did morpheus apologize to anybody yeah. you know and merv uh saying that this is exactly how he has always acted. This is exactly how Morpheus has always acted over over the centuries. He's always been like that, but he's been gone for a century. You think he's changed? No, he's exactly the same as he always has been. So why are you holding it against him? Why are you finding it weird that yeah, he's like yeah. that? Maybe you've just forgotten that this is what he's like. Um, so, But it does lead to the brutality, almost in this episode, of how Sandman ends Lysa's dream. The idea that a regular human from the waking world would shut themselves off and sit themselves in the dreaming and make that choice is completely against what the dreaming is. So yeah. he has to stop that. Uh, that has to stop. It doesn't matter about her crying um, and Rose protesting because she thinks there's some connection between the two of them. Morpheus has to stop that because it can't exist. You can't have a living human being sitting in the dreaming and creating their own life inside there because they will die in the waking world. So he has to stop that and he does it as brutally as he, as he, uh, as you could by snapping his fingers and sending the ghost of her dead husband who she was going to spend her time with in this dreaming world, yeah. sending him off to whatever continues after he died yeah it was a great effect as well mm. uh, almost like with the snap you know but mm. even finer i think because yeah. it's it, it almost like sand like morpheus's sand mm. sort of it's like it was like hector was being sort of sandblasted effectively yeah. um like this abrasiveness of just how as uh, it starts to deconstruct into these fine particles mm -hmm. uh to the skull you know whilst lighter is pleading yeah. to this person that has effectively inserted himself in I, like i love the fact when they arrive in it's like who's this yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. lord morpheus is there has inserted himself into lighter's dream mm -hmm. um and she doesn't know who he is and then begins telling her that you know he died long ago. He belongs to death, yes. not in the dream world. Um, you know, your husband cannot be a dream. Mm -hmm. And, um, this is not his, his role in effect, yeah. his function. It's gone. He's gone. He's, and so uh, just and without him gone, she can't deal with exactly with her mourning. She yeah. can't deal with the grief that she has from losing him. That's why that line is so important. In the waking world, when she's talking to Rose and saying, well, I'm going to go and live my life in the dreaming with with Hector because I have nothing here. Well, she doesn't even grieve for her husband. She hasn't moved on in any way yeah. from the death of her husband. Exactly. We saw that when they were traveling over to the UK uh, to, to visit yes. Unity Kincaid. Yeah. She was having dreams of her husband sitting beside her and that she hadn't even thought about him no longer being there. Um, so... Again, while it may seem massively brutal, I mentioned it on last, last week's episode, while it may seem massively brutal what Morpheus has done, 
this is not how dreams work is a really important fixture here. What happened last week was he took away that uh, pocket dream universe from Jed because Jed wasn't able to use dreams to deal with the fears and horrors that that come with his what he's dealing with in the, in the real world. Here we have um, Lysa escaping her grieving for her dead yeah. husband in a place that shouldn't exist. It, it's different aims, isn't it? Mm. And he has a completely different perspective on what's going on compared to Lighter and even Rose, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of interesting thing here as well is Rose is this hugely powerful dream vortex that can impact the the dream world, yes. potentially destroying it. And yet, in some respects, she is ignorant about the reasons for its existence. Mm-hmm. And this is where then Morpheus and, and Rose then butt heads, really, mm-hmm. and their relationship, uh, you know, becomes strained because he says, you know, this dream is over to Lighter, uh, and Rose follows him to his palace after um, he's stopped Lighter's dream mm-hmm. and, and removed Hector from the uh, the dreaming and effectively, she gives him a warning and, and tells Morpheus to leave her universe alone and reposts with the same words, this dream is over, yes. and leaves um, his palace mm-hmm. as easily as she came in. Yeah. And I just thought that it was just really, really good. I mean, real sense of, um, yes, a, a, a almost um, equivalent power here. Um, not necessarily yeah. saying she is equivalent yeah and um, but almost you know in the sense of the ease by which she is able to move through dreams mm-hmm. as we saw in the last episode but yeah. now at will almost doesn't need morpheus's help and yet mm-hmm. has an ignorance about the whole situation of the different realms absolutely which is part of the reason why she may destroy the dream realm because she doesn't know yes. what it really is and she doesn't know how much power she has so that was how she was introduced back from desire talking to uh despair back in in episode seven this idea of the vortex being there could destroy morpheus and his realm so it very much could be because she doesn't understand because she wants her friend to be happy and her friend had decided to be happy i'm gonna live in the dream world but the ghost of a dead husband um and she's affronted by that that could be how the dreaming end, ends effectively this could put the two of them on a collision course which kills dreams um, so I, I love this it's so, it's such a an ethereal concept almost it's a it's a concept i'd never ever thought about before reading the sandman and I'm, i love how it's been brought to life here on the screen because you can tell the tension between the two things that uh, a concept versus um, the reality of what's going on in the waking world are, are dealt with really well here, I think. Well, that's it. And, and mm. in some respects, even the fact that Rose pulls dreams towards her, mm-hmm. she may have no control herself Absolutely. of of whether and um, what she destroys, this weakening of the boundaries. Yeah. She's not actively looking to do that. That's a result of all these dreams coming and and, and spiraling around her, yeah. being pulled into her. And so now you have her angry at Morpheus because mm-hmm. of what he's done to her friend and the distress, even though Morpheus's reasons for doing it 
are absolutely sound. Yeah. So again, really, really interesting. And will the walls between the uh, worlds break down even more and we'll see some of the dreaming in the waking world? Well, exactly. Yeah, I wonder if that might happen in the in the final episode of the season. But we kind of have talked about the major points. We talked about serial serial convention. We've talked about uh, about what happens with Light and Hector and um, the punishment of uh, of Sandman and the kind of butting of heads between uh, Sandman and uh, and Rose. But there's one additional mm, punishment uh, that Sandman has for Lyta there as well. Uh, not only does he take away the ghost of her dead husband. He does allow her to keep the child that's inside her. She's still pregnant uh, in the waking world, but he leaves her with an extra threat, which is that that child is mine because it's of the dreaming and I someday will come and take it away from you. Yes. Um, ooh, that's a, that's a pretty brutal thing to do. Um, he could have effectively just cancelled out what happened in the dream, right? He could have just gone, well, you're not pregnant because you got pregnant in the dream world. So that's gone. That's going back into my realm but he's saying you carry it it's yours but it will be mine because it was born in the dream world that's a yeah that's almost a a threat to light over what she did um by trying to stay in the dream world well i mean i, I guess this is where i'm not entirely sure because mm. yes it was conceived in the dream world uh-huh. or you know but it transferred over to the reality yeah. or to the waking world where time and time again, uh, Morpheus has said, you know, I have, I can't go there. Mm-hmm. It can only be in dreams. And so there is a reality there in the waking world that Morpheus can't deal with mm. um, in that sense. But I don't know. I, I don't right. know in that sense, how that works. Because similarly, then, it would be the same with Unity Kincaid, potentially, with her mom, if that's how it played out. But maybe, again, he's on a different timescale to humans, so he may just never have gotten round to reclaim it. Yeah. Because there's other things going on. Yeah, well, basically, remember, Unity had a daughter who's passed away. Unity's daughter had a daughter, who's Rose's mom, who's yeah. passed away, all gone before Sandman returned from his exile, and now Rose is a vortex. So there's nothing to take back into the dreaming, really. I, I would say that's that's how I'd explain it. Whereas here, Light has come out pregnant from the dreaming, and he said, you can keep your child, but that child of the dreaming was was created here. Therefore, like Corinthian, like Fiddler's Green, like Galt, they're all part of the dreaming. So Sandman, Morpheus can come and take them back to the dream. Yeah, and and Morpheus so, can move into the real world because mm-hmm. we've seen that yeah. with Joanna Constantine and with the the guy from you know thirteen Hob, Hob Gadlin, yes, Hob Hob Gadlin. Yeah, so he can do that, but again, he hasn't taken. I as I, I say. I don't really know yes. the rules here. But between... they're not of the dreaming. Whereas he's saying this child that she's conceived was conceived in the dreaming. So yes. like a dream that he has created, this child has been created within the dreaming. But it's, it's more than that realm. now because it's had the impact of Rose. So mm-hmm. it's also a child of the waking world or reality because... It's passed through. It's passed through because she weakened the walls between dreaming yeah, and the waking yeah. world. So it is, yeah, yeah so. okay. 
Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's a little douchebaggery uh, mm-hmm. from the Sandman. But as I say, I don't, I wasn't entirely sure how it worked because effectively it, it had taken form as well in the waking world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and kind of nothing had really come out of our unity in case. So I wasn't sure of what rules around this well, yeah. were in place. Hey, there are no rules. There are no rules. Well, uh, there is there because is. Morpheus is a bit of a stickler for <laughs> the is. old rules. To he be is. honest, I have to say there was a great, uh, a great headline to a uh, an article in one of those um, one of those clickbait type articles of how do uh, superpowers work? You've seen those for every show that we've that we've covered. There's a great one on them um, on Morpheus today. Was how do the Sandman's powers work? And it's look. They just work because the writer said that's how they work. <laughs> um, he's very, very powerful. Is basically the the description that was there. Uh, good stuff. Uh, I think that's it for for the episode overall. Is there any other other notes? Anything else that we didn't talk about? Um, I, I've just got one note. I just thought it was a really nice exchange actually um, between uh, the Corinthian to to Jed actually. As mm. first of all, we see him getting Jed an ice cream. So for for Jed, it's you know all his Christmases have come at once, yeah. especially given. Uh, what he's been used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like how Corinthian, you know, again, his manipulative side, just the, I'm running away too, he says to, to Jed. Mm-hmm. When we meet Rose, we don't have to run anymore. Yes. Um, you know, it's a nice little line there from the Corinthian, yeah. uh, to both placate Jed and deflect his questions, but mm-hmm. also effectively, speaking his truth a bit i mean what yeah. what is it almost that they say if you're gonna lie you say a version of the truth or yeah. all you know and that's his version of the truth in order it's not to lie it's more to deflect yeah because uh, jed starts asking a few questions you know about how he knows rose mm-hmm. and so on so i yeah. just thought that was a really nice little moment uh, really in um at the the, the service stop yeah. uh, with the ice creams. Yeah. I also like how, de- how he deflects um, when asked for his name from uh, from Jed as well, where he kind of goes, oh, well, you know, you don't really need my name because isn't it only when people are angry with you that they call your name? Mm. Um, just like Uncle Barnaby, basically, is the, uh, the yeah, is, yeah, yeah. is what Jed picks up almost immediately from that uh, from that exchange. So never giving out his name to either Rose or to uh, or to Jed uh, in the episode. But I love how he how he diverts that question. Good stuff. Excellent, Corinthian. Once again, uh, make, having some great moments, particularly in this episode. This is his big one, I think, uh, for the series. Got lots to do here. Uh, but overall, John, what did you think of the Sandman Chapter Nine Collectors? I really enjoyed it. I give it five Weetabix nightmares out of five. Um, <laughs> Very good. Both because Weetabix them. literally yeah. is the nightmare cereal of <laughs> sawdust compressed into a block. Very good. That's why you um, chose a non-Kellogg cereal. And, and, well, yeah. I guess we could say all bran nightmares, I guess, <laughs> uh, which I was sadly forced to eat when I stayed with my gran right. uh, as she was upping her fiber intake as she got older um but yes i guess that would be uh one one of the the nightmare cereals for Mm. sure um as well as a a serial killer nightmare i guess um (laughs) but yeah i really um enjoyed this loved Mm -hmm. the convention i love that playing out i just i think lighter's story with hector just really Dare I say it came to life here? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, I think I it did in the last episode, but it's just the extension of that. It's links to Rose. Uh, it's weakening of the boundaries. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, as you were saying, certainly episode eight and nine to me are, can just be fused together yep. uh, as some big um, episode. I, I thought everything about it was just great all the way through. I love the reveal of Fiddler's Green mm-hmm. uh, as Gilbert. I, I just enjoyed um the convention just all these different elements happening in this hotel whether it is the organization committee the arrival of corinthian and jazz the arrival of gilbert and rose all really good and then linked in with um lighter and this sort of big uh, strain and schism that's occurred now between Rose and Morpheus. And you're just there going, okay, this is what the Corinthian can exploit here. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I say that I don't know how you can turn around and um, being seen to kill someone mm-hmm. twice. You know, it's shocking for Jed and yeah. it's certainly shocking for Rose in this moment. So yeah. I don't quite know how you smooth talk uh, your way out of this, but I'm guessing he probably needs Rose's eyes as much as anything. I don't know to, you know, how is he going to utilize uh, Rose? And that's why I can't wait to get on to her chapter 10. Yes, yes. Uh Saying nothing, uh, I want to see how it plays out. But he could possibly just threaten Jed to to get to Rose. That could be a way that he might do it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, maybe there's uh maybe there's another way. Maybe he certainly is such a sweet talker. We've yeah. seen the way he's gotten in so and out of situations. Great intrigue yeah. for this final episode. Mm-hmm. You know, of this four episode arc. So I'd give this five Weetabix nightmares out of five. Fantastic. Fantastic. Derek, what are your thoughts on Chapter 9? Love this. Absolutely love this. Seeing the serial killer convention come to life after something uh, something that really stood out from the comic books. I think they did a great job here, even though it's not as hidden as it was in the comic books, and it wasn't as massive a reveal, or at least it was when I was reading it uh, back in the early 90s. It, it felt like this massive reveal of, oh, a serial convention for serial <laughs> killers. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm up with the jokes. Um, but, but I think it worked really well in here that it, that it's some great... Uh, um, some great comedy with it, but also the tension that was building yeah. throughout for uh, both Jed and for this journalist that's in there. I thought that was really well told within the story. And then to continue the story within the dreaming of what's happening with uh, the people surrounding Rose uh, was really interesting. So uh, really excited to see how they're going to close out the season uh, with episode 10. We have got the extra episode, episode 11, that we'll be covering as well, of course, but um, that's post-season, I suppose. So this arc is a is the the arc so how is it going to close out for the season looking forward to that as well yeah definitely definitely good stuff let's get on to some of your thoughts about chapter nine if you want to send us in any feedback you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or join us over in our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries where you can leave your thoughts on any of the spoiler posts for the shows that we're covering uh, first up dr bob phillips says thoroughly despicable and quite well organized i was very impressed with the serial team this feels like the third in a little trio within the season and while it clears us of uncertainties about Jed, and of course, a green is embodied as the most English of men. We are also given a little more discomfort with the Dream Lord. He's a bit of a knob sometimes. <laughs> That's exactly what I said to Derek about Morpheus <laughs> yeah. uh, after watching it. Word He's a bit of a knob. Word. Yeah. yeah, word for word. So totally on the same page there. 
Dr. Bob about Morpheus. Um, although I think in the discussions, I get why mm-hmm. he can't allow Hector and Liza to do what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you can't have a ghost and a human uh, uh, from the waking world live in the dreaming. At least yeah. within the rules that he He's has, abiding by you know, yes. Yes. in that sense. But he also doesn't realise that seeing your dead husband, mm-hmm. in effect, die again by being sort of blast sandblasted out of existence yeah. is probably not good for, for Lysa. He's all about ripping either. off that, that plaster. <laughs> he really, really <laughs> is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Excellent stuff. Thanks, Dr. Bob. I hope we're going to hear from you about your thoughts about the finale uh, and the final episode of these of these 10 episodes and the 11th episode uh, later on in the season. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Bob. Uh, Coffee and Vodka says, Greetings, fellow Ghost Daddy defenders. Ooh. The concepts of survival, hope, and change continue in this episode mm. and series of long-form poetry disguised as horror, fantasy, and adventure. Mm. The object of travel is not to visit a foreign land, but to at last set foot in your own country as a foreign land. A thing of beauty with an Easter eggy double meaning rewarding the reader while taking nothing away from the viewer. This and the coming together of characters and story elements to the convention center using the vortex to its fullest potential shows a lot of well-layered writing effort. Morpheus's struggle in having to give up his ego and micromanaging ways, Lucienne's peak at being demoted mm. and their uncomfortable yet warm reconciliation was nicely brought off. Rose's unobtrusive, then aggressively present central role in all events was orchestrated almost operatically. Mm -hmm. In contrast, as vitally important as Lighter's role is in the series, her portrayal here is mostly forgetful. Picking up the slack, the Corinthian spins what he hopes is an effective web against his creator. Finally, as easy as it would be to give Stephen Fry the MVP in every episode he's in, it belongs to Danny Corain's Funland for supplying both the show's creep factor and its tense, scary ending. Mm-hmm. Five burnt chicken fingers, devious du- double entendres, and blade-embedded bloody bogus bogeymen out of five. Peace and take care. Coffee and vodka. I wholeheartedly agree with uh-huh. every sentiment there. Yeah. Uh, I think really, uh, really good. Um, and yeah, I, I just think how this all, uh, spirals its way, uh, together mm-hmm. in, in this episode is, is phenomenally good. Um, and I mean, the, the quote you take from, uh, Gilbert as, um, and then how that links to him as Fiddler's Green is, is just, it's just nicely, nicely like done by by Gaiman. But what, what else do you expect? Really, mm. he's an excellent uh, story writer yeah. uh, and teller, and he's also good at at just mixing up the obvious um, so well. I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's such a beautiful, beautiful concept um, that he's put on screen here. I love your description there, uh, Coffee and Vodka, of uh, long-form poetry disguised as horror, fantasy, and adventure. I mentioned that earlier on in the season when we were talking about um, episode 5, 24-7, where 
it's a really brutal horror, horrific episode, difficult to watch, difficult to read through, but important in its own, in its own, uh, sense because it is difficult sometimes. Life is difficult sometimes. Things are really awful. And that's kind of a story that needs to be told. And Neil Gaiman never shies away from doing that, telling a story that needs to be told. He doesn't avoid telling the bad things that happen in the world. So um, I love that the show's been able to do that. But but I mentioned back then that when that issue came out, it suddenly became this horror book that people were reading, waiting for the next horrific thing to happen. And that doesn't happen very often. So I'm glad the show represents all those elements, the horror, the fantasy, the adventure of it. But it's all in this beautifully poetic way uh, put on screen. So uh, here's hoping for more seasons. Well, absolutely. Um, And Derek, Mm -hmm. does this mean I now like poetry? Well, good poetry, uh, I think you've always liked. Uh, Bad poetry, Mm -hmm. I think most of us all hated. (laughs) No, no, not really. Let's Uh, let's say poetic uh, rather than poetry. Um, Yes, I think that's probably better. Right. I can rest easy once again. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks so much for your feedback and thanks so much for your thoughts. Uh, thanks for staying with us for The Sandman. Um, we are still on holidays at the moment uh, as as you uh, as you listen to this. Uh, we should be back next week. Chink. Yes, <laughs> I hope. Uh, I hope we'll be uh, on the beach having some, having some drinks. Uh, but we will be back next week with our discussion about the season finale of uh, of the sandman episode 10 lost hearts there is an episode 11 i'm not making that no no not getting that wrong but episode 11 is outside of the season we'll talk about that on a future episode but we will be talking about chapter 10 lost hearts next time so get in your final thoughts on that part of the season if you want to you can email us to feedback at tv podcast industries we want to hear from you about what you thought about the 10 episode season and then tell us what you thought about the dream of a thousand cats and calliope yes and fellow dreamers please stay subscribed to the podcast for all things the sandman Uh, and why not share it with your friends because sharing the podcast is sharing sharing the the love love. yes indeed but with that thank you so much fellow dreamers for joining us Mm -hmm. it is great discussing great tv shows with great listeners and followers yeah. of the podcast and the shows great fans in fact exactly um remember in between time though keep watching keep listening and keep dreaming bye nighty night <laughs>